Welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church as we wrap up our series entitled uh, Forgotten God. For those of you that have been with us the last few weeks or maybe you've listened online, you know that we've been learning much about the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God, the third person of the Trinity. We've learned that the Holy Spirit is not a force, it's not an it or a thing, but he is a person, not just any person, but a counselor. Parakalachos in the Greek, para means to come alongside, not in front, not behind, but alongside us. Kalachos means to speak, to speak truth into our lives. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's our counselor. He comes alongside us and speaks truth into our lives. In the last few weeks, we've read and reread this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. It reads this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And our theme over the last few weeks is this simple phrase, be filled, be consumed, be saturated, be under the influence, not of alcohol or wine, but of the Holy Spirit. Surrender your mind, will, and emotions to God, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The words be filled are found in three different places in the New Testament. The first time is, is, is in, in Acts and when Paul is converted to Christ. If you remember, when Paul came to faith in Christ, he, he saw a light. He heard the voice of Jesus and he was blinded by the light. And Ananias came to him and he says, Paul, repent and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that's what happens at conversion. We receive the Holy Spirit completely. We're full of the Holy Spirit at conversion. But there are other times in the New Testament throughout the Bible when the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers a particular person for a specific time in a specific way. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're sent out as missionaries. And at different points, you read in the New Testament throughout the Bible where the Holy Spirit anoints or empowers an individual or speaks to a person at a particular time. But that's not what Paul references in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, the filling of the Spirit is not a conversion, nor is it at this special anointing or empowerment. It's this present, continuing connection with God, the Holy Spirit. It's not just being full at the Holy Spirit at conversion or at a specific task, but it's being full of the Holy Spirit every day to be consumed, to be saturated, to be in the presence of God the Holy Spirit, to surrender your mind, will, and emotions, not to a foreign substance, some alcohol, but to surrender your mind, will, and emotions to God, the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. Frank Frank Laubach is a man that walked full of the Holy Spirit. Anyone recognize that name, Frank Laubach? Anybody remember that name? He's actually uh, quite... uh, popular. Many people call him one of the greatest teachers of our time. He is referred to as the apostle to the illiterates. Time magazine uh, named him Mr. Literacy. On, the, on his anniversary, his hundredth uh, of his hundredth birthday in 1984, the U.S. Post Office honored him by putting his picture on a postage stamp as one of the great American, as part of the great American series. That's Frank 
Laubach for the last four, for 40 years as a literacy consultant in over 100 countries and more than 300 languages and dialects in his Each One Teach One program, he used, to, he, he used his method to teach about 60 million people how to read in their own language. It's a phenomenal accomplishment, but Frank's greatest accomplishment is not as an educator or as a consultant, but in his relationship with God. Frank is known as a modern-day mystic. He made it his goal in life to practice the presence of God, to be fully aware of God's presence and power in his life, to be full of the Holy Spirit. In 1930, he wrote the following words in his journal. Submission is the first and last duty of man. That's exactly what I've been needing in my Christian life two years ago. A profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half an hour. Other people to whom I confessed this intention said it was impossible, but this year I've started out trying to live all my waking moments in conscience, listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, Father, what do you desire? Father, what do you desire done this See, that's what it means to walk in continual conversation to be full of the Holy Spirit is to be asking the Father, is to having this dialogue with God as you're interacting through your career or in your profession or in your school. Later, Frank wrote in his journal, oh, this thing of keeping in constant touch with God. Making Him the object of my thoughts and the companion of my conversations is the most amazing thing I've ever done, ever ran across. It's working. Frank writes, I I cannot even do it half a day, not yet, but I believe I shall be doing it someday for the entire day. He says, it's working. I'm walking in step with the Spirit. I'm being full of the Holy Spirit. I'm having this present, ongoing connection with God, the Holy Spirit. See, that's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not at conversion. It's not this conversion when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, nor is it this one-time empowerment or some camp high where God comes and speaks to you at a particular moment. What Paul is writing is, I want you to have this present, ongoing connection, this communion with the forgotten God, the God that we sometimes read about, we sometimes hear about, we often don't walk in communion with God the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap up this series entitled Forgotten God and this Communion Sunday, I'd like us to spend some time a little bit in Ephesians chapter 4. For the last few weeks, we've been in Ephesians chapter 5, but for for this final message on the forgotten God, we're going to jump back into Ephesians chapter 4 because over the last few weeks, we've learned that there are three ways to respond to the Holy Spirit. If you remember, just about every message I respond in a similar way, I end with a similar way, that we respond to the Holy Spirit By submitting to the Holy Spirit, that's what Frank Laubach did. He he surrendered his mind, will, and emotions to the Holy Spirit. That's one way to respond to the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. That's when we sense God prompting us to do something, maybe a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit risky, and we refuse to do that. We can quench the the fire of the Spirit to, to move us. We can submit, we can quench, or we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can cause him pain. 
And as we conclude our time in this series, The Forgotten God, I think it would be right for us to talk about how we at times can grieve the Holy Spirit and cause Him great pain. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, page 1159 in your pew Bibles, Paul writes about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 There's a long list of instructions. Paul writes this long list of instructions. It's almost like his Ten Commandments. It's this this long list of moral imperatives, things we're to do and not do as believers, as followers of Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 25, he says, Don't lie. Speak truthfully to one another. Then he says, Don't be so angry. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And he lists these, these moral imperatives, these, these commands, these instructions for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. I hope that you get a chance to read these on your own, but let me just summarize them. Don't lie. Don't be angry. Then he says don't steal. Do something meaningful with your life. Get a job. You know, you know, find some work to do and then be generous with what you receive. Be generous. Don't steal. Be kind to one another. Don't be so harsh with one another. Be kind. Be forgiving. Don't hold a judge, but forgive one another. Stay sexually pure. There shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Stay sexually pure. And then right in the middle of all these moral imperatives, these instructions on how to live, Paul writes these words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't cause him pain. Do not hurt God. Now, I know that sounds a little strange. It may feel a little bit odd that Paul would write, don't hurt God. But that's what he writes. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us might question, shouldn't have Paul written, don't disobey God? I mean, right in these long lists of moral imperatives, of instructions on how to live, shouldn't have Paul written, don't disobey God, or, or, or maybe don't get God angry? Because if you disobey him, he'll get angry, then he'll come after you, and then he'll punish you. I mean, isn't that what Paul should write? I mean, don't, don't get God angry, or, or don't disobey him, or maybe don't insult God by not following his instructions. That's not what he writes. He says, don't grieve God. The Greek word that we translate grieve in English is the Greek word lepeo, and it means offend, insult, hurt, sadden, loss. It means create severe mental emotional distress. It's more relational than mechanical. It's more personal than impersonal. It's, it's only used when someone experiences shattering loss. See, when we sin, when, when we disobey one of God's rules, when we, when we lie or when we steal or when we cheat or when we lust or when we, when we do something that we know we're not supposed to do, we don't just hurt ourselves or other people. We actually hurt God. We don't just break God's rules. We break his heart. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared a story with you about a buddy of mine and his 13-year-old daughter when they went to a camp together, a father-daughter retreat. And while they're at this retreat, they had this wonderful time laughing and learning. And, and they did this one experience that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago where the daughter, 13-year-old daughter, was blindfolded. 
And the dad had his shoulder on his daughter and had to navigate their way through a forest to get to a picnic table 200 yards away. It was a competition between dad and daughter pairs and about 19 other dad and daughter pairs to see if they could navigate through the forest to get to the picnic table 200 yards away. And the instructions they received was that the dad could have their hand placed on their blindfolded daughter's uh, uh, shoulder and then say these words. I love you, trust my voice, take a left. Or I love you, trust my voice, take a right. Or I love you, trust my voice, watch out for the stump. It was this simple phrase with some followed, followed by instructions. I love you, trust my voice, and then take this next step. And my friend and his 13-year-old daughter, who was blindfolded, were having a great time. I mean, in my friend's words, they were kicking butt. I mean, they were, they were navigating through the forest, and, and they, they, they were walking together, and they received the instructions. You know, you can have your hand on the shoulder, speak those words. And then the camp director said, now you can't have your hand on the shoulder. You can only speak into your daughter's ear, I love you, trust my voice, take a left, or I love you, trust my voice, take a right, or watch out for this stump. And then it came to this point in the, in the exercise where the daughter could ask for instructions from the dad, and then that was a nice little teachable moment. And then my friend and his daughter made it to the destination, and they won the competition. They had this little moment as a father and daughter that was quite tender and pure, and, 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 and yet, can you imagine if during this little exercise, this 13-year-old blindfolded daughter said to her dad, Dad, I'm not listening to you anymore. If this 13 blindfolded daughter says, Dad, your instructions, you know, turn left, turn right, you know, those are just silly, Dad. I'm not listening. Dad, you don't even have my best interests in mind. You're just trying to control me, Dad. I'm not listening to you. I mean, that may not be too hard for us to imagine. Maybe you heard those words as a parent or said those words as a child. But as a father, can you imagine as a dad, if you heard from your daughter, I'm not following your silly instructions anymore. Turn left, turn right. You know, you don't even have my best interests in mind. Dad? The dad wouldn't just be insulted. He wouldn't just be upset. He'd be hurt. He'd feel loss. He would grieve from the impact of the words of his child. See, that's how God the Holy Spirit feels. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't feel offended. It's this deep, shattering loss. Because God the Holy Spirit says, don't lie. Don't cheat. Stay sexually pure. Don't be so greedy. Don't get angry. Be generous. Be kind. And we, with our lips and our lives, say, God, you don't have my best interest in mind. God, you're just trying to control me. God, your silly little instructions, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And when we do that, we don't just hurt, we don't just disobey God, we break God's heart. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we don't just hurt ourselves. We don't just hurt others. We actually hurt God. We don't just break his rules. 
we break his heart. Paul does not write, God's mad at you, or he's out to get you because he broke his law, you broke his laws. He writes, God is sad because he's losing you. He's losing connection with you. He's losing intimacy with you. He's, using the, he's losing that present, ongoing conversation with you. That's what he's losing, and it causes him great loss because that's what sin does. When we disobey God, it separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Have you ever noticed that in your own relationship with God? When you sin, when you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, when you lie or when you cheat or, or when you don't forgive someone that's offended you or when you're greedy with the resources God's entrusted to you, have you ever noticed how you feel, how, how you feel distant from God? Now, God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But you walk away from God, and you say, God, your rules are silly. You know, be generous, or forgive others, or, or stay pure. Your rules are just out to, to control me. I'm not listening to you anymore. God, have you ever noticed how you distance yourself from God? And when we do that, we treat God as a thing, an it, or a force, and not a person counselor who has our best interest in mind. When we sin, we just don't break God's rule. We break his heart and we grieve his heart. Paul, the apostle, understood this better than most. Paul, the apostle, understood his struggle with sin and he recorded it throughout the scriptures, but particularly in Romans chapter 7. We, we've touched on Romans 8 over the last few weeks, but in Romans chapter 7, Paul reveals his own personal struggle with sin and how he grieves God, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. And Paul writes this, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. It says, I am sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. That is, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. Since sin is still living in me, I still have this sinful nature. I still do the things that I don't want to do. Even as a believer, I turn away from what I know to be true and right. And I grieve God. I cause him much pain. I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. I'm a slave to sin. That's what Paul writes in, 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 in Romans 7. He identifies with our struggle with sin, but then in Romans chapter 8, he gives us a way out. He, he gives us a way out, and, and, he, and, he, and he answers the question, how do I deal with my sin? How can I stop grieving God, the one that loves me so much? And in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, Paul writes, you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're saturated, consumed by the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of you. Verse 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
You're alive to Christ. You belong to God. You received His righteousness. You are made right before God, not because of what you have done, but what Christ has done for you, His death and resurrection. He has made you right with God. And then Paul answers this question. How do we deal with our sin? That sin that trips us up. That sinful nature inside all of us. How do we deal? How do we stop grieving God? This is what Paul writes. For if you live according to the sinful nature, that sinful nature inside all of us that's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, to leave the God I love, that, that sinful nature inside all of us. If, if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. How are we to overcome our sin? How are we to deal with our sin? How are we to stop grieving God? It says right here, by the Spirit. We must put to death the misdeeds of the body, that sinful nature, by the Spirit, not from our own strength, not from our determination or will, not from our flesh, but by the Spirit. Put to death that sinful nature, not from your own strength, but by the Spirit. See, when it comes to the sin in our lives that so easily entangle us, we basically have two options. We can deal with our sin by the flesh, with our own will, with our own capacities, our own strength. We can say, you know, I'm determined. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to stay sexually poor. We can, we can resist the temptations by our own strength. And when we make a mistake, we say we can beat ourselves up. You know, I did it again. You know, we can go on this pattern. You know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. You know, I'm not going to do it again. You know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm not going to do it again. And we can deal with our sin in the flesh, in our own strength, by our own effort, and beat ourselves up when we don't get it right. Or, Paul says, you don't have to do it by the flesh. You can deal with your sin by the Spirit. You can treat God not as an impersonal force, as a thing, as an it, but as a person. And you can take your sin to God, the Holy Spirit, and ask him this question. Is this how I am to treat my friend? Is this how I am to treat the one that has given so much for me, that created me, that loves me, that his son died for me? Is this then how I am to repay God back for all that he has given me? See, we can treat, we can respond to our sin in the flesh in some mechanical, impersonal way. I've sinned, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I've sinned, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or we can respond by the Spirit and we can ask God this question. How am I grieving you? How is my sin causing you pain? See, that's intimacy. That's a real relationship with God. That's how we deal with our sin. Not in some mechanical, impersonal way. I'm sinning, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I sin, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But in a personal, transformational way way. God, here's my sin. How have I grieved your heart? Because when we sin, we don't just break God's 
rules, we break his heart. We break his heart. And when we turn to him and we say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. How have I grieved you? We connect with God, the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not treat God as the Holy Spirit as an it, as an impersonal force, or as a thing. Remember, he's your counselor. He has your best interest in mind. And then, when you do sin, don't respond in the flesh, but by the Spirit, in a personal way. And say, God, how, have, how has my sin grieved you? How has my sin caused you pain? See, that's how we're to deal that's how we're to relate to the Holy Spirit. That's how we're to deal with our sin, not in a mechanical way, but in a personal way. Not in a transactional way, but in a transformational way. Just about every day, I write in my journal. And, and my journal is this little book that I have where I write down some of my thoughts and feelings and some of the ways that God has been teaching me. And I write in my journal. And in the back of my journal, I got a variety of different things. I got my prayer requests for my family. I got my prayer requests for my friends. I got my prayer requests for the church leaders and the church staff and then the church congregational members, some of you. And I pray about those just about every day. And there's one page in my journal, and at the top of it it says, I'm a sinner. Right at the top. <laughs> I, said, I said, I don't know if it's because I'm Catholic or you know, I grew up Catholic or, or if I, I just know the extent of my sin. But every day I confess my sin back to God. I, I just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And maybe it's because I'm trying to kill that sinful nature inside of me. But every morning I say, God, these are the areas of my life that I struggle with the most, that I cause you to grieve the most. And I just confess my sin preemptively in the morning. And I say, God, sometimes I try to look good and feel accepted by others rather than respond to my acceptance in Christ. I struggle with my identity, my worth and value in you. I said, God, please replace my arrogance with humility and joy. And then, and then another sin I confess, I say, God, sometimes when I feel out of control, when life seems out of control, I try to grab control rather than trusting that you're in control. Help me remember that you're in control of the details of my life. And then I say, God, you know, forgive me. Sometimes I overlook people that you've called me to love. I don't see them the way that you see them. I try to get my needs met rather than re respond to their needs and say, God, help me love others as you have loved me. And I confess my sins before the Lord as, as an attempt to kill that sinful nature inside of me. And then I read the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21, or, or Romans chapter 8. And, and, I, and I let the words of God over, over, just wash over me. Even the, the scriptures that we have about the Holy Spirit in our reading plan, I've read those recently. And I try to put myself in a position to be full of the Holy Spirit, to receive God's word, to remember who God is and who I am in Christ and what he's called me to do. Now, I am no Frank Laubach. I'm not walking in step with the Spirit like Frank did every waking moment, having a sense of God's presence and power in his life, but I want that. Don't you? Isn't that what you want in your relationship with God? Not only to attempt great things for God, to be on Time Magazine, but to have this present, ongoing connection with God, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. Isn't that what we all want? It starts here. In the morning, 
we put the deeds and the misdeeds of the flesh. And we confess to God, these are the areas that I struggle with the most because I know, God, that my sin is not just breaking the rules, it's breaking your heart. And I want to respond to you in a personal way, not a mechanical way. I want to know how my sin has grieved you, how I've broken trust with a friend. How are you grieving God today? If you look over the areas of your life, are there different areas in your life where you know that you are grieving God. Maybe you can make a list. Maybe it is your identity. You try to find your worth and value in what you do or who you know rather than who you are in Christ. Or maybe when things get out of control, you try to grab for control. Or, or, or maybe there's a wound that you have that you have yet to forgive someone for how they've hurt you. How are you grieving God today? And would you be willing to bring that sin Jesus, to not respond in the flesh, but to respond in the spirit, and to ask God, God, how am I grieving you? In a minute, we're going to take communion. Communion is a time for us to connect with God, to confess our sins, to to confess our list of ways that we grieve him, and then to connect with God, because Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to die. He rose again, conquering sin and death forever. And communion is a time for us to reconnect with Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've learned so much about the Holy Spirit, didn't we? We've learned that that to be full of the Spirit is to be full of the Word. To be full of the Spirit is to be full of worship and song. To be full of the Spirit is to be full of submission and and to submit to one another. To be full of the Spirit is to be full of a life of gratitude. But the primary role of the Spirit is to bring us to Jesus to convict us of our sin and to bring us to the cross. And that's what we're going to do at communion. We're going to take our sins the way that we grieve God and we're going to say, God, how have I hurt you? I don't want to hurt you anymore. I want to treat you as a person, as a counselor, as a friend, not in some mechanical, impersonal way. I don't know what you may be doing that causes God to grieve. All I know is that God is not a person, it, or thing. He, or God is not a force, a thing, or an it. He's a person. And we come to him and we confess our sins, not just because we sin, but because we hurt God. He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to empower us to walk and step with him. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the clear teachings on who you are, Holy Spirit. And our desire, God, is not to resist you or grieve you, not to quench you, but to be filled with you. So I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a work inside of us, to reveal in our lives where we are grieving you, that you would enable us this day to take those places in our lives where we grieve you the most to the cross to receive the forgiveness of our sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name.